series. How many of you would say that God has touched your life and blessed you over the last few weeks of this series and has done a work in you? Yeah, there's several of us here that have raised your hand. It's awesome to see what God is doing. Um, Ephesians 3, verse 20, though, says this. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. What a powerful block of scripture. Now, anything we can think up or dream up, God says that he can do not just more, but immeasurably more. I mean, you can't dream up the stuff that God can dream up. You can't think on the level that God thinks on, you know. And I think that's, that's kind of hard sometimes because I can think of some cool things that I would like to do. Um, man, I love good food. I mean, how many of y'all love good food? We talked about this earlier. Yeah. Think for a second about your ideal food. Like if you could have one plate of food, just the perfect plate of food, what would it be? Look at the person sitting next to you and just tell them what it would be real fast. What would be your perfect plate of food? My goodness. I think mine, I think mine would be like, I mean, just a perfectly cooked medium steak, probably with some mac and cheese somewhere in there, and then some banana pudding floating around somewhere. Oh my God, I'm a banana pudding super freak. I love that stuff. That, that would be my ideal. My ideal meal. Think about this. What would be your ideal car or truck? Think about that. Get it in your head. Now go ahead and, and you're talking to them anyway. Look at the person next to you and just tell them real fast. What would be your ideal car? Did I hear a Prius? Somebody said Prius. Oh, we got to dream bigger than that. We got to dream bigger than that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Man, I think for me... For me, I like the classics. If I was going to have, like, a dream car, I think I would just have a, a 68, 69 Camaro and just tricked out stock, just, ah, it's beautiful. I would love that. Or Bentley. Either way. I'd sell the Bentley and then get more Camaros is what I would do. <laughs> think about this. What would be your ideal vacation? Just your perfect spot to go to. Now, if you're thinking Gatlinburg right now, you're a redneck. <laughs> you're a redneck. Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, you're a redneck. But think about it. Would you go to the mountains or would you go to the beach? Now, look, I'm trying to help some of y'all out because some of y'all are single, and I'm trying to give you a good way to break the ice with the cute person you're sitting next to because we don't just pre preach the gospel here at Life Point Church. We try to get you hooked up too. So um, we're trying to break some ice. We're trying to break some ice is what we're doing. So since you're talking to them anyway, why don't you tell the person next to you what your ideal vacation would be? Where would you go? So in Hawaii. How many of y'all would go somewhere with the beach? Oh, my gosh, that's what I'm talking about. How many of y'all would go to the mountains far, far away so no one could? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. How many of you would just go to a lake somewhere and just boat around and fish? And That's what I'm saying. See, I could do all of that. I think, like, my ideal vacation would probably have all those elements wrapped up in one, and I would take about six months taking my time between each one, you know, just... All the funds I needed, all the, all, all the, oh golly, it would just be fun. It would just be so much fun. But all we can dream up, all we can think of, God can think on a whole new level. He can think of stuff, he can think of vacations we hadn't even dreamed up yet. And places we've never even seen. 
wonder what vacation is going to be like in heaven. Sun. That's going to be fun. Have you ever wondered what an ideal church would look like? Let me think about it for a second. What, what would an ideal church look like? I mean, it would be a church where when the doors were open, you knew that the presence of God was going to be there and that the word of God was going to go out with power and anointing. An ideal church would be a church where I knew that I was going to be loved and accepted regardless of what had happened to me in my life and what was going on in my life that week. An ideal church for me would be a place where my children are loved and they're cared for and they're taught the truth of God's word, where my students were loved and poured into and invested in. An ideal church would, would be a place where I would feel comfortable with my family and my friends coming there. An ideal church would be a place where I wouldn't, I wouldn't even hesitate inviting somebody because I knew God was going to rock their world. It'd be a safe bet every time. I think an ideal church would be a church that invests in the community. I think an, an ideal situation with a church would be, it would be a church in a community that would run drug dealers out of business. That would turn, it would, prostitution would cease to exist in the area. Because women would understand their value and the plan that God has for them. It would, be a, it would be a church that was able to see families restored so abuse would stop and kids would feel safe going home to mom and dad. I think an ideal church would be a church that's, that's used to reach the homeless in the community. Not just throw them food, but to give them skills. To put clothes on their back and help them to become part of society in a productive way. I think an ideal church is a church that, that would be able to look past itself and look down the road to what God wants to do in the surrounding community and step up and go to bat and do their part to see what God could do through them. That would be my idea of an ideal church. When I think about an ideal church, you think about the early church that you read about in the book of Acts. Those guys were going crazy. I mean, they were going crazy. When they hit a town, there was either revival or a riot broke up, broke out. Every time. Every time. I mean, people were either crying, slinging snot, and giving their lives over to Jesus, or they were picking up pitchforks and rakes and chasing them out of town. Can you imagine if you got that response everywhere you went? Like, I don't know what's going to happen at the mall today. It's either going to be a good day, or we're going to need to leave a car running, so we'll see what, what happens here. You know? that's, that's the kind of reality that they had, though. The early church was a church that, man, it was normal for the dead to be raised. It was normal for the blind to see. It was normal for deaf ears to be opened. It was normal for broken lives to be restored. It was normal. The miraculous was a normal thing in the early church. That would be an ideal situation for a church for me. You know, in, in Acts 2, verse 42, there's this, the, the way this passage of Scripture starts off is amazing. It, it says that, speaking of the early church, that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves to three things you read, and you can deduct it from Scripture. They devoted themselves to Jesus because they understood who he was and the impact that he had in their lives to set them on fire with passion and vision. And they wanted people to know about him. So they were devoted to the gospel because they wanted people to know about this Jesus that had changed their lives. 
And beyond that, they were devoted to the church because they knew that's where it all came together and that's where the impact flowed out of. Not just their individual lives, but corporately as a church. They devoted themselves. I got a question for you. If you were going to rate on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you... where would you rate your devotion to Jesus? Where would you rate your devotion to the gospel? And where would you rate your devotion to God's church? On a scale of 1 to 10. Think about it for a second. Let's take a moment. We're not in a hurry this morning. Think about it. Where would you honestly rate yourself? Would you be a 1? Would you be a 5? Would you be a 10? If you're a 10, you're probably a liar, which means you're probably knocked down to about a (laughs) 4. If you're a 10, that's Jesus level right there. We're glad you're hanging out with us today, Messiah. But probably probably we're going to fall somewhere in there. Now, what's crazy is when I asked you, when I asked you to rate your devotion to these things, I could almost sense the tension just, just, Seize up the room. Because you guys are ready for me to blast you right now. You guys are ready for me to get up in your face and to get all red-faced and say, your devotion should be this, or your devotion should be that. You should be a number this, or you should be a number that. Because we're used to measurable terms, especially in church. Can I tell you, it's just the flat-out truth. Pastor to people, I don't care. I don't care where you are right now. I don't care whether you're a two or whether you're an eight. What I care about is, number one, that you're here today. And what I would care about most today is that maybe we find a way, whether you're a two or whether you're a five, or whether you would say you were a seven or an eight, none of that really matters. What matters is that we are growing closer to God in our daily walk. I would say that I'm more concerned about you taking the next step than I am about you saying you've arrived at a certain level. Amen? I think we put too much pressure on these things. Look, church should be a place where, just like the song says, you should be able to come just as you are. No preconditions. No, no set rules to say you have to. We like to tell people they, they have to be X, Y, or Z. And if they're X, Y, or Z, then, then they're a solid Christian and, and they're growing in their faith. And, and really, that's not the case. And we're going to bear fruit and it's going to be evident in our life. But a guy who just got saved, <laughs> who, has, who was saved yesterday, gave his life over to the Lord, still has trouble, trouble with alcohol, still has trouble with pot, and still cusses like a sailor, listen to me, can do just as much in the kingdom of God as somebody who's been saved 20 years and doesn't have an issue with any of that, but has a problem with judgmental, like a, they have a judgmental heart towards everyone else. Sin's just sin. Issues are just issues. What's important is that we're devoted enough 
to take the next step. Y'all with me? Got to be devoted enough to take the next step. You know, and and if if we think about it, I mean, the early church, it gets a lot of accolades, but let's just stop and think about this for a second. The early church had some issues too, right? Y'all read the Bible too, right? Early church had some issues too. I printed up some of them because I wanted to see. I did a little bit of studying. I was like, man, these guys, you know, the early church, they had racial issues. They had racists in the church. I know we don't have any problem with that here in the deep south. They they had a lot of racism, man. Jews and Gentiles, man, they couldn't get along with each other. It was so bad that two of the major church leaders, Paul and Peter, had a little confrontation at a party. People are hanging around. Paul said, hey, 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 hey. Why are you sitting with all the Jews over there and, and shunning all the Gentiles over here? You know, you shouldn't. Paul flat out called him out. That would be like us coming together next Saturday at the inside picnic here at the church and Everett Brown hopping up and saying, Pastor, nah, you're sitting with those people over there. You know that's wrong. You shouldn't be showing favoritism. You need to come sit over. That's cr- You know how awkward that would be? Man. And it happened. Early church. They, this doesn't really relate to us too much today, but they had a big cultural conflict over circumcision back then. Uh, we're just going to, mm, some things I just don't understand why God decided to, to put some things in, and that's just one of those, we'll say ouch, and we'll just go on, because the Jews, the Jews, to, uh, all these all these Gentiles were getting saved, and the Jews were like, hey, Bo, we, we had to do the trim thing, now it's time for you to do the same thing, because you, you, it's, it's, time, it's time to do all that. And the Gentiles were like, what? Nobody told us about that mess. What? We just want Jesus, Holy Ghost, hey, we're happy. What? what? No. So, so they, they, had, they had this problem going on. The Jews wanted the Gentiles to fit in to a box of legalism. They had problems with, with government authority, people resisting authority. They, they had disagreements about whether to eat meat that were offered to idols, and that became a huge issue in the church, so much that Paul had to address it. Sexual immorality in the church was huge, especially at the church in Corinth. It used to be a joke. Like, if, if somebody called you a Corinthian, that was like a derogatory term back then because the Corinthians, that society was so perverse and they were, they were just nasty and dirty. And it, you're a Corinthian. You better take that back right now. Nope, Corinthian. That, that's, that, if you call somebody a Corinthian, it was a big deal. The Corinthian church had a big problem with this. So much that Paul had to write a letter and said, Hey, um, yeah, so tell the dude that's uh, sleeping with his father's wife that that ain't cool. That that's, that's, that's not real Christ-like. And we, I mean, he had to flat call it out in Scripture forever. There, incest. This is jacked up. Lawsuits between believers because everybody got huffy and wanted to sue each other. I had to stomp that out. They had perversions of the gospel. People started preaching stuff that didn't line up with Scripture, and so Paul had to call some of that stuff out, and the early church had to deal with that. Disunity among the believers in the church these people were fighting and fussing all over the place and the leaders were like come on guys let's hold it together here and yet in the midst of all of that they were still able to see god do miraculous things 
move powerfully, and the gospel go forth. With jacked up people and jacked up churches. Sounds familiar, huh? Hey guys, we're still in the same boat today. We're still in the same boat today because God's got a way of using imperfect people to do powerful things. So whether you call yourself a two or an eight in that imaginary way we rate ourselves spiritually that matters, it doesn't matter at all. Because the Bible says that all of our righteousness is equivalent to what? Filthy rags, junk, trash. The best we could ever be on our best day will never be enough. That's why we need the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because none of us matter. No, none of us, none of us on, on the big thing, we, 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 we can't matter enough. We can't. We can't become enough. We can't obtain to enough in ourselves. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We can't be holy enough to measure up to God's standard. We're all in the same boat, whether we want to admit it or not. We're all kind of jacked up in a way, and we're all in the process of trying to take that next step in our walk with God. Amen? We're all in the process of getting rid of the old nature and becoming more like Jesus. That's what this is all about. That's what it's all about. We want to become more like Jesus. I don't want to become like Pastor Brad. And I sure don't want to become like Larry. <laughs> Larry's like, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with Larry. But I think, I think what we do sometimes is we compare ourselves to other people. I think what we do sometimes is we have this unspoken pressure that we put on people in church that we're supposed to dress a certain way, that we're supposed to talk a certain way, that in worship we're supposed to act a certain way, and there's certain things that we don't say, and there's certain things that we don't do. And, and yeah, you can split hairs and say that as you get closer to God, those things kind of fall out of your life, and you take on new characteristics, and you take on new, new habits, and that's true. It's true. But there's no way I would expect my two-year-old to get a full-time job and drive herself there and back every day. You know why? Because she's a stinking two-year-old. She's a stinking two-year-old. You know what Abby likes to do? <laughs> Number one, she likes to make a mess. That's, that's, that's her job right now. She likes to make messes, and she likes to poop and pee in diapers. That's what she likes to do. We're, we're beginning to start the, the potty training adventure but, man, she can still fill a diaper up with the best of them, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Now, when she fills one up and it's my turn to, ch my turn to change it, I don't look at her and say, what is wrong with you? The toilet's right there. Go to the toilet, clean yourself up, give yourself a bath. I'm done with this. My gosh, you're two-year-old. That'd be silly. Now, why do we do that, though? to people who are young in their faith. I think that the church is responsible for more spiritual deaths than the devil ever will be. I think we, sometimes we shoot our wounded. I think sometimes we put too much pressure on people to be, to be, to be, to be, to be, and to do, and do, and do. And, and we don't encourage people to draw closer in their relationship with God and figure out what that next step is so that we can break out of ourselves into who God has called us to be. Y'all seen it before, right? I'm so thankful for Romans chapter 7 and for Romans chapter 8 
Because it breaks down a big truth and who we are as people and who we are as believers. You know, you've got a body, you've got a soul, and you've got a spirit. Probably not shocking news to anybody. Let me break this down for you a little bit. You've got a body, that's your flesh. Okay? You've got a soul, that's where your mind, your will, and your emotions are. Okay? And then you've got the spirit guy over here. Now, before you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the spirit guy over here, what does Scripture say about him? He was dead. All right? So, you spent all of your life until that point with your flesh, with your mind, your will, and your emotions. All right? We get saved. We accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The spirit guy pops up, comes to life, and for the first time, we, I mean, you remember what it was like when you, you accepted Jesus for the first time? How alive you felt? How passionate you felt? How excited you were? How free you felt? You know, that guy came to life for the first time. That breath of life hit him, and it, it was just amazing, and it was new, and it was awesome, and it was powerful. And then we still had this flesh stuff that still craves what it craved before. And we had this mind that remembers all the stuff we did before. And we have this emotional connection to our past and who we used to be. And we have our will that's trying to be the governing factor to line us up through this conflict to decide which way we're going to go. Now we've got some serious struggle going on inside of us. Y'all ever been in a place in your walk with God where, I mean, you, you could just go from just a time of, of, of prayer in the presence of God where you thought God himself was two feet from you and you were scared to open up your eyes because his presence was so strong. And then five minutes later, you're driving to work and somebody cuts you off and you're like, son of a... Why do we have that conflict in us? Why? Why is it that we're going to have an awesome time in the presence of God today like we are, and then some of us are going to go home today, and we're still going to have this strong desire to open up the Internet and look at porn? Why? I'm so glad that Romans 7 is in the Bible because it explains so much to me about myself. Paul's writing and he talks about, hey, I'll kind of paraphrase it for you. He says, hey, look, the good stuff that I want to do, I find that I'm struggling to do because at the same time I have this desire to do what's wrong inside of me. And I find that there, there's this law at work in me and that I'm new and renewed in Christ, but this old nature is still conflicting against me, and I'm finding myself in a constant war, in a constant battle, in a constant struggle. I used to think something was wrong with me after I first accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I still had temptations. I still had struggles. I still had fights that I had to deal with. See, the church sold me a bunch of malarkey. They told me that once I got saved, I would never be the same again. And my troubles would be over because Jesus would make it okay. And in a sense, that was true. It was true. But what they didn't tell me was there was still some old nature that I was going to have to work out of myself. Through the process, through the process of growing closer to God. Are y'all still with me?
Make sense? Romans 8 says that you're able to do that by making sure that you feed your spirit. That you put yourself in a place where you've got more of God coming into yourself than you do worldly influences. And if you can get God in and get the word in and get some time in his presence and feed your spirit and fix your minds on the things of God, that what's going to happen is your spirit man is going to grow strong and that struggle is not going to be as strong of a struggle or as tough of a struggle. But the key is that struggle never goes away. That's flat out depressing. It never goes away. It kind of doesn't. And I think sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, and I want you to hear me here. I think sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in a place in our walk with God where he's wanting us to take that next step and we feel like we don't have what it takes because we're caught up focusing on the struggle within us instead of looking at the potential of the person that we could be if we would just take one more step in our walk with God. I think that there are ministries in churches that have never happened because people think that there's something wrong with them because they have the struggle that they're dealing with and working with, some kind of issue. And we say crazy stuff like this. We say, well, when I get, a, when I get control of my anger, then I know I'll be able to, you know, or, or if, if, I can, if I can finally forgive all of these people, then I know I'll be in a place where God can use me to do what he's called me to do. And I got news for us. And, and it's kind of good news and it's kind of bad news. But as soon as you overcome something in your life, guess what? There's going to be a new fight that's coming around the corner. Because we are in a continual progression of becoming less like ourselves and more like the Savior that died for our sins. Okay? I don't know why we feel like we need to earn a certain level before we feel like we can do something for the kingdom of God. But that's never been the case in Scripture. God's always used individuals that have had struggles. God's always used individuals that had internal fights. God's always used people that had demons they were trying to put out. God's always used us because His strength is made perfect through our weakness. Amen? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. See, it's not about us. It's not about us or us earning some right or way to be used by God. It has very little to do with us other than our willingness to let God use us. Our willingness to take that next step and let him fill in the gaps where we're weak. Let him make up the, pick up the slack well, we're not able to make things happen. He's the one that makes the way. It's his power working through us. His power working through us. It's his power working through our weakness to reach others as we grow closer to him. That's what it's all about. We're imperfect people who are just taking the next step in our walk with God. Imperfect people. Just like the early church. 
imperfect people taking the next step in their walk with God to be used to do unimaginably powerful things. Things that we celebrate, things that we set as a standard of what our church should be, still jacked up people doing things. Still people dealing with racism, still people dealing with sexual sin, still people dealing with those things. Imperfect tools in the hand of a perfect God. Once I know enough scripture, I'll be able to. Once I finally understand what Daniel is talking about, where he says this, then I'll, I'll be able to. Man, you know how many times God used uneducated, ignorant people to do powerful things in scripture? Thank God for that. My goodness, he pulled me slap out of Alabama. I, I got to have, I got to have hope. <laughs> well, one guy was joking. He said, you know, if God can use a donkey to get his word out, there's hope for us all. There's hope for us all. Imperfect people taking steps. You know, I think the greatest obstacle to us and the greatest obstacle for God's will in your life isn't people and it's not the devil. It's a person looking back at you in the mirror. I think there's a lot of things that we could be doing to impact the community. I think there's a lot of things we could be doing as a church and individually that we're not doing now because we're psyching ourselves out, thinking that we're not worthy enough for God to use us and that we're not at a place yet where we reach some kind of level for God to be able to work through us. How many of you have seen people dealing with struggles like that? We've all seen people, it's not us, but we see people processing and working through things like that. A lot of times we tell ourselves we're not good enough to be used, and we're absolutely right. Because it's Jesus working in and through us that makes all those things possible. Guys, if we could do it on our own, you know how prideful and cocky we would get? You know how arrogant we would get if we could make stuff happen on our own? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. He fills the gaps in our lives. And he picks up the slack in our lives. You know, think about Jacob. Jacob was given a jacked up name. It's a messed up name, Jacob. You know what that name means? It means deceiver and heel grabber. That's literally what the guy's name means. Can you imagine that at a party? Hey, how you doing? Uh, my name's Betty. This is my husband, Deceiver. Um, his name's what? Deceiver. Okay. We're all going to go out to the pool? Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to hang in the house, keep an eye on Deceiver to make sure everything stays where it's supposed to be. <laughs> he has an encounter with God, and God changes his name. And he changes his name to what? To Israel. Israel. He who overcomes with God. The very name that he gives to his chosen people. That's an upgrade. Like when I got married, I, I got a big upgrade in my life. Kelly was, I mean, bam, right there. I married up. Upgrade. Jacob got a huge upgrade. Jacob to Israel. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. There's this guy. 
named Moses who's in a desert talking to a burning bush. Weird. And he's going back and forth with God on why he can't do what God has called him to do. God says, I want you to do this. And Moses says, ah, yeah, but my goodness, what are, they're going to say this and they're going to do that and I can't handle that. God says, okay, we'll tell them this. Moses shoots back another excuse. Yeah, but God, I can't talk good. How am I supposed to tell these people stuff when I'm not a good talker? God begins to walk Moses through this process. He says, okay, you don't want to do that? I'll get somebody to speak for you. <clears throat> okay, one by one, he starts to take Moses' little, little excuses away. I don't know how many times looking back where God's called me to do things, and sometimes I've just stepped out courageously, and, and sometimes I, I, I kind of hesitated a little bit because I was like, holy cow, you want me to do what, man? I, there's no way I can do that. And he goes, I know. That's why I want you to do it so I can do it through you. It's amazing how we can go from like an eight to a two sometimes in our devotion, depending on what's happening during the week, what's going on with that struggle inside of us. God talks to Moses, and he says something that blows my mind. I want to close with this thought to Moses, and he says, you go and you tell these people that the God of Abraham, that the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent you. Not Israel. Jacob. You tell them the God of Abraham, awesome faith, Isaac, awesome faith and obedience and deceiver and hill grabber sent you and God was saying to Moses I know you're not perfect and I know you've got your faults. And I know you've got your weaknesses. And I know you don't have it all together. And I know you're not a good talker. I am the God of Abraham. And I am the God of Isaac. But I am still the God who can use Jacob's to do my will if they will just take the step from where they are. And trust me, to fill the gaps in their life. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I wonder how many of us are here this morning that have had the same conversation with God where he spoke and kind of prompted and said, I'm ready for you to do this. And we say, yeah, but, yeah, but. And we become our own worst enemy. We psych ourselves out. And we miss out on what could happen in our life and in our relationship with God. Because we forget that he is still the God of Jacob. He's the God that can use us through our imperfections. 
He's the God who still loves us where we are. Did you know that there is not one thing you can do from your life going forward that Jesus has not already died to forgive you of? He loved you just as much at your worst point of life as he loves you at your best point in life because he loves you consistently the same. And I don't want you to leave here today thinking you don't have what it takes because you know what? You don't. I want you to leave here knowing that you don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. But God has everything that we need to accomplish what he has called us to do in our lives. Because he is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And if he's called you to do it, he will equip you to step out and do it. Amen? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. For what you're doing in the hearts of your people this morning. God, I pray that you stir our hearts, that you stir the gifts, and that you stir the callings in the hearts of your people. And I want everyone here, just for a moment, to stop and think about your life. Don't think about what's got to happen later today or what you've got to do at work tomorrow. Or what has God called you to do? What is that thing burning inside of you? What do you know God is speaking to you or has been speaking to you? To step out in. It could be in the area of finances. It could be in a simple act of obedience. It could be in telling people about the Jesus that you serve. What is that thing? What is that hope? What, what is, if you could do anything for the kingdom of God, what is that thing that burns inside of you? And just won't go away. What is that thing that God has been speaking to you about. That you've been hesitant to step out in. I'm not talking about rating ourselves. But a scale of 1 to 10. What I'm talking about is taking the next step. Trusting God. And knowing that he's the one that will fill in the gaps. He's the one that makes the way. He's the one that provides. All we have to do is take the next step. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what, Pastor Josh? There's some stuff in my life. There's some stuff in my walk with God that he's been showing me. And that he's been dealing with me on. And I'm ready to take that next step today. I'm ready to take that next step and move into what God. I might not have it all figured out just yet. I might not know all the answers. And, and you probably never will, to be honest with you. God likes to keep us in a place where we're somewhere between point A and point B, so we're dependent upon him to make the way. You're never going to have your life together enough. That's why we have the love and grace of God that gets us there one step at a time, one decision at a time. If you're here this morning, you know, man, you know what, Josh? There are some things I'm, I'm ready to take the next step in. I've kind of been psyching myself out. I kind of feel like I haven't. Had it together enough. I, I, you know what? I've kind of been buying into the lies that I, I just, I'm not good enough and I don't have what it takes. I'm ready to shake that off because I realize today that God is still the God of Jacob and God can still use imperfect people to do powerful things through him because he's a perfect God. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and I want you to look at me. One, two, three.
three, lift them up and look at me if it's you. I see yours, 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 I see you, I see yours, I see yours. Once you lift your eyes, you can put them back down. I see yours. I want to make sure I give everyone a chance. Pastor Josh, I'm ready to take a next step. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet, lift them up and look at me. I see yours. Now let's do this. As a body of believers, if you can, let's all stand and let's all come to the altar area and let's close in prayer this morning.